Hi, I'm Rabbi David Orlovsky, and welcome to episode five of my new exciting podcast. Can you believe we had five of these already? This is amazing. And I know what you're thinking. Wait a second. You said that you were going to be in America now, and you're in America. So how come you have the same exact backdrop? Well, obviously, I'm not filming this at the same time because, see, I have a different tie. It couldn't be that I just went and changed my tie. Now, you may think, how is it that your hair looks exactly the same? Because I ran out and got a haircut three days before this podcast just so it would look the same. This is my commitment to you to be able to maintain that. So you say, well, it's the same exact backdrop. But as I already mentioned, these aren't real swarim. This is a poster. I just took it with me to America and hung it up behind me. (laughs) In fact, somebody wrote a comment and said, where could I buy that poster? We will be marketing the swarim poster for people who would like to have the Robert Orlovsky backdrop in your own home. And uh, you could make your own podcast. And uh, we could see who does it better, Rabbi Olavsky, me or you. <laughs> so, uh, no, I have to tell you the truth. I really don't have to tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth anyway. Um, we actually are filming this in Yerushalayim. Um, so I'm, this has been re- pre-recorded. So, uh, you know, um, I want to make sure we get in these things so I, I don't miss them when I'm in America. You know, I'm sure they must have... Uh, recording equipment in America, but I don't, I don't really know where or what or how to do it. And uh, I, America is such a backward place; it doesn't have the technological advances that we have here in Israel. So uh, it's one of the great things of being in Israel is that you know Israelis are sure that they have everything better. <laughs> so somebody told me, you know, how come there's no real cream cheese here? You know. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that they sell the cream cheese not based on flavor, but based on fat content, you know? So you go to the store, they have 9%, 5%, 3%, but it's all the same thing, you know? So someone told me that in the early years of the state, the, the, the owner of Friendship Dairies came to see Tanuva. And he says, it's so beautiful. He says, the only thing you don't have is cream cheese. We're going to teach you how to make cream cheese. And he said... You'll teach us, we'll teach you. <laughs> I came, we got married, we came there, so the, you know, uh, for our first year, Vashona Rishona, 1982. They just came out with lasagna noodles. It was this large. Um, if, you, if you're listening to this, it was this large. <laughs> you have to use your imagination. Imagine very, very long noodles. There was no pot that you could possibly boil these in. But what happened? Someone said, you know, well, you don't have any lasagna noodles. Is it muzzle lasagna noodles? He goes, they're long noodles. He goes, we will make them even longer. <laughs> so we're convinced here in Israel that what we have is bigger and better than anything you guys have out there, you know, and chutzlaretz. So anyway, that's the reason that we're recording this beforehand, just to make sure that, uh, you know, uh, we can keep up with this exciting podcast. And so it's Parshas Toldos. Not really. Anyway, so, but it's very much like, it's very much like Barsha's told us. And um, November 8th, wow, look how time flies. Anyway, so, um, um, so what do we want to talk about? I, I want to tell you a terrible story. I have, over the course of uh, my lifetime, uh, acquired many terrible stories. Now, there are many terrible stories I've heard and I don't include those, 
because I, I used to teach, I used to say every now and then, I have to go to the horror files. And the horror files was a collection of stories that I was directly involved with on some level. And they're terrible stories, you know, terrible stories. And uh, by the time the girls were second year, you know, if I'd say I'm going to the horror store, I have to go to the horror files. They're like, don't go to the horror files, you know. Someone's asked me, why don't you like put them all out as a book, like in the horror files? I said, what do I need people killing themselves at mass? You know, and they, they're very depressing stories. Each one is, is, is terrible. Anyway, but they're all, they're all true, and, and I've had exposure to them. And um, this is a story about a young man who I knew, um, who calls me up, Erev Yom Kippur. I was living in America at the time. And he calls me up and he says to me, I'm out of faith. Erev Yom Kippur is a really bad time to be out of faith. Yeah. And uh, I said, what's, what's the problem? And he tells me about his life. And his life was a life of tragedy. His uh, father was institutionalized in a mental institute before he was born. His mother was also mentally ill. She tried to kill him as a baby. She was institutionalized. He went to live with his grandparents, who were poor. He had a little store that he ran. And so he would go to school and would help his father in the store. And his severely mentally and physically handicapped aunt also lived with them. And he had to help take care of her and change her and all the things that you need to do with somebody who's just not self-sufficient. And he was taking care of the aunt and taking care of... Uh, you know, helping in the store and all the things. One time someone came in to rob the store. They shot his grandfather in front of him, um, who lived. But, uh, but it was a serious thing. And uh, he says, I, I was left behind to clean up my grandfather's blood on the, store, the, the store's floor, you know. And it went like this. This was his life, yeah. And uh, eventually he became from, went off to Israel, and he's learning. And he starts dating. But he doesn't have an easy time, as you can imagine. Yeah? Plus, he has some of his own physical difficulties. Yeah? He doesn't think he's ever going to get married. And he finally, in spite of his own handicaps, he gets married, finds a nice girl. He gets married. And, uh, and he says, we've been married for several years. And we just got the message from the doctor that we can never have any children. And now I'm out of faith. And I said, I, I need to think about this. Let me call you back. And I hung up the phone. And I looked devastated. And my wife, when, she, when I tell the story over, she said, I never saw you like that. I was, I was, I was physically ill. These two Bachram went to see Rav Moshe Feinstein and they were waiting outside the room and the door was a little open and they could hear what was going on and there was an almana inside with a terrible, terrible tale of woe and just crying and just terrible. Anyway, when she leaves, they were afraid to go in. They said, after a story like that, Rav Moshe will be shattered. And they walk in and he has his usual Yeshiva Das and his usual Simchas Chaim. And they were amazed. They said, Rebbe, how is this possible? He said, what do you mean? So we heard what went on. So he says, first he gave him Musa. You're not supposed to listen in on people's conversations. And the second thing is he said to him is, you can't get involved in working with the tzibur 
unless you lock away a certain part of yourself that you save for yourself. Because otherwise, you won't be able to, you won't be able to function. You know? Um, I said to uh, Ray Bowman once, you know, Ray Bowman had a very weak heart. He had problems. And I said to him, I said, Rebbe, you're going to die of a broken heart. Because he took everything, he took everything right, right in his heart. And that, that little place that Moshe said that you have to have locked away, he didn't have, you know. Anyway, so uh, this hit me. I mean, you know, you can handle a lot of things. So my wife said, what happened? I told her over the story. And she said, what can you say? And I said, I already know what to say. I'm trying to get the strength to say it. And I called them back and I said, I have no right to tell you what I'm about to tell you, but I'm going to tell it to you because you know that it's true. In this week's parasha, Yitzchak and Rivka don't have any children. For 10 years. 10 years they're childless. And, um, and Rashi says, why were they childless? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves the tefillahs of tzaddikim. He wants to push them to say beautiful, beautiful tefillahs. I said, I don't know why a Kurdish Baruch Hu is so impressed with you, but he obviously feels that you're capable of greatness and he's pushing you to achieve that greatness. And there was a silence. And then he said, I knew that already. I just had to hear it from somebody. Uh, an astounding, astounding, astounding concept. Yeah. Now, that's story number one. Here's story number two. I was asked to speak for an organization called A Time. This is an organization that deals with couples that haven't had children. I always get nervous when I'm speaking for organizations where there's special children special adults, different levels of suffering, all kinds of different problems. I, I, I'm, not, I'm never really sure what the words are. I always dive into HaKadosh Baruch Hu to give me the words to say so I know what to do. And uh, I spoke to somebody who was a member who hadn't had children in a while. And I said, what do you want me to say? I said, I'm coming in. And people give chizik, you know, people give the same, you know, the same basic lines, you know. I said, what do you want me to say? And he said, say it stinks being us. He says, people come in and tell us what tzaddikim you are, how special you are, how wonderful you are. Guess what? I don't want to be special. I don't need this. I had a nephew who had a, a daughter with Down syndrome. And he says, I'd meet these rabbis, he said to me. And they'd say to me, well, you know... It's really a bracha. These people are very close to their shleimus, and only special people are chosen to be able to get such a bracha. He says, I'd look at them and say, should I give you a bracha that you should have such a bracha like this? And they're like, oh, no, 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 because don't say it to me, okay? Because you have no idea what I have to deal with. And it's easy. It's easy to say, oh, it's a bracha. You must be very special. You must be this. On one level, it's true. On one level, it's certainly true. HaKadosh Baruch Hu pushes you to achieve greatness. 
I have a standard line when everybody asks me, you know, how's it going? I said, Baruch Hashem, because Baruch Hu hasn't forgotten about me. My file is obviously open on his desk. <laughs> he thinks about me every day, yeah? The Gemara says, if nothing, nothing bad happens to you in 30 days, you should get nervous, because it could be that a Kosh Baruch Hu just gave up on you. He doesn't even care anymore, yeah? I'm not worried. <laughs> I know he's thinking about me. <laughs> yeah? It's, there's enough going on that I don't have to worry that I've been forgotten. But, but who wants to deal with it? Who wants to find themselves in a situation where you have to confront these kind of terrible challenges? And it's easy for those of us who don't have those challenges. We can sometimes be a little flippant. Yeah, Coach Baruch wants you to feel this, he wants you to dive in that. I uh, sometimes speak to parenting groups, you know, and uh, we're all struggling. We're all struggling. We'll talk about it. We used to talk about parenting one time, but, you know, Parshas told us it's a little too, uh, a little too hard to talk about. <laughs> it's a little sore point, but, you know, um, you know, you've got parenting groups, and there's always one mother who says, the important thing is to make sure that you tell your daughter what your expectations are. You have to set boundaries. My daughter says, um, can I buy this outfit? And I say, I don't think that's the right thing for you. And she says, okay, Ima. And sometimes we, you know, she wants to go someplace with her friends and I'm not comfortable about it. And I say, I don't think you should go there. And she says, okay, mommy. You know, and sometimes, you know, everybody's gonna, whatever it is. And I say, I don't think that's right. And they say, okay, mommy. And that's the thing is you just have to tell them what you expect. And every mother in the room is sinking into the ground. Because <laughs> how many mothers have had the experience where we tell our kids, we don't want you to do this? And they're like, tough. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. What do you want to do? Throw me out? <laughs> and mothers are like, I don't know what to do. You know? This mother tells me, she says, I tell my, you know, my husband tells our boys that they have to get up in the morning and go to shul. They can go to the 7 o'clock, they can go to 8 o'clock, but they have to go to shul. I said, but what if they don't get up? No, no, no. My husband tells them they have to get up in the morning and go to shul. They can go to the 7 o'clock, they can go to 8 o'clock, but they have to get up in the morning and go to shul. I said, but what if you tell them they don't go? No, 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 my husband tells them they have to get up. I said, but what have they got? Anyway, I saw the husband. And I said, you tell your boys, because I tell them they have to get up in the morning and go to shore. I said, what if they don't get up? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> That's brilliant parenting for you. <laughs> Listen, if I tell my kid, I want you to do this, I don't want you to do this, and they say, okay, what's the big deal? Yeah. So I would tell these women, because I saw how everybody else was like devastated. Uh, and I would say, I'd say, you have to understand that a Kosh Baruch Hu gives the most challenging children to the most talented parents. A Kosh Baruch Hu obviously realizes you can't handle anything. So he gave you a yes mommy girl. And whatever you say, she says yes mommy. And you think you're a brilliant educator. Anybody can do that. There's no trick to that. Lee Iacocca, a name that probably means almost nothing to anybody over here. Lee Iacocca was a vice president over at Ford, and then he was taken in to save Chrysler, and he did a wonderful job. He saved Chrysler Motors. But he tells a story in his biography called Iacocca that uh, when he was a vice president over at Ford, there was somehow a discussion 
um, about barbecuing. And Henry Ford III, I guess it was, said, nobody makes a burger, you know, like my chef, Bill. He makes the best burgers in the world. And, you know, every man believes that he can barbecue, you know. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's, you know, something primal there. They're returning to their caveman roots, you know. So everybody should be able to, you know, uh, to barbecue. So they all say, what do you mean? I make the best burger in the world. I make the best burger in the world. So they decide to make a contest. At every weekly meeting, a different person would make their, um, would make their uh, hamburger. I want to see, see who's the best. And so each one would make it. This one had his special method. He spent his special sauce. He had this, you know. And each time he would say, it's good, but it's not like Bill. It's good, but it's not like Bill. He said, so one day I went down to the kitchen. And, and I said to Bill, I said, how do you make your burger? And he says, oh, I'll show you. He takes the most expensive cut of steak. He sticks it in the meat grinder, forms it into a patty, throws it on the grill, and says, like that. <laughs> I'll ask you a question. How hard is it to be able to take the greatest thing in the world and uh, be able to make something out of it? You know? Um, there's a television show on the Food Network called Chopped. Yeah, it's a very, very uh, emotional uh, show. People with, with high blood pressure should not watch this. This is too difficult, yeah. What it is basically is four chefs, and they have to prepare three courses, and after each, each round, you eliminate somebody, yeah? And they have a basket of weird ingredients, and they give you all these weird ingredients, and you have to make uh, a course out of it. You know, so I said, ah, oh, they should make a kosher chopped, you know? Let's take a look what's in the basket. A brisket, potatoes, paprika, and onions. Hmm. I think I'm going to make a roast brisket and potatoes. <laughs> you know? When you have, like, canned haggis, you know, and lollipops, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, go make something out of that, you know? It's much more challenging. Of course if you have. So if you got a yes, mommy, kid, there's no challenge to it. Everybody gets the challenge that they can handle. And, uh, you know, I speak for organizations like a time, and I see people who are struggling with childlessness. And uh, it's, it's so painful. It's so painful. And it's one of the amazing things that I've seen is I've seen people wrestle with childlessness and then have a child and then complain about how the kid's no good. <laughs> now, you know what? I don't fault them. It's a Rashi. Yeah? Rachel Imenu is crying. She says, if I don't have a child, it's like I'm dead. Yeah? Mesa Naichi. Yeah, what an unbelievable thing. And she finally has a child. And Rashi says, she says, now if something breaks, I have somebody to blame it on. That's what you needed a child for? <laughs> By a puppy! <laughs> you a child for that? So the Bali Musa says, even that. In other words, now I'm normal. I can even complain about my kid. I'm so normal that I have a kid that I can complain about like everybody else complains about their kids. I don't have to just sit there when I don't have a child and listen to everybody complaining about their kids and I'm thinking, if only you had a child. Now I have a child and I can complain about him too, like with everybody else. Yeah? I had a student 
she uh, went into social work and she was working in a mental institution. People who had lost their mind. And she said to me, I would look these people up on social media and these people were normal. They had normal lives. They were normal people. And then they went insane and they lost their minds. And now they, they, they have no shaykhs to who they used to be. And she looks at me and she says, that's the most painful thing in the world. And I said to her, that's a real hard thing to say. I spoke for an organization at a time for, uh, for, children, for, for couples that have no children. And they'll tell you that that's the most painful thing in the world. I spoke for parents whose kids went off to derech, who, who are, uh, uh, they don't know where they are at night, they don't know what they're doing, where they went. You know, as parents, we have, we have expectations and dreams for our children, and, and it's all gone. And they'll tell you that's the most painful thing. I've spoken with older singles, and I'm talking about groups of older singles where the girls who would tell me their ages were in their 40s. The other ones wouldn't even tell me their ages. And, you know, which each passing year, they, you know, they ask me, do you think I should freeze my eggs, you know, so that I could still have children? And I speak to, to parents who, who have children who are severely handicapped and what it is for them to have to try to be able to take care of those children. And I talk to people who don't have money literally to put food on the table. I speak for an organization, uh, um, uh, Karen Ezra Shabbos, and they said the reason they started it is because they used to see, they were, they were Talmidim in Torah Or, and people would come by at the end of the meals and collect the half-eaten challah, you know, bread off of the tables. That's what their family ate. He says, and I asked one of them, I said, what about Shabbos? He says, well, in a good week, we buy a can of tuna fish that we all share. You know? I spoke for the Tom Chay Shabbos in Muncie, you know, and they said that the guy had a, a you know, garage with, with no heat, you know, and no, no electricity, nothing, you know, that, that a family had to, had to live in because they, they, lost their, they lost their house. They had no place to go. You know, in, in, in the freezing cold Muncie winter, you know. Well, you know what that is, not to be able to feed your family, you know. And, uh, and it goes, and it goes, and it goes, you know. And which is the worst pain? The answer is, my pain is the worst pain. <laughs> Mel Brooks, when he was doing the 2,000-year-old man. You know, they call Ryan and he asked him, he said, did you ever have comedians? He says, oh, we had a guy, Murray. One day a tiger walks into the, the, the cave and he grabs him by the tail and goes, yaha, yaha, and the tiger turned around and ate him. <laughs> so he says, well, that doesn't sound very funny, you know. He says, what did we have back then, RKO? Then we're Murray and the tiger, you know. He says, but that sounds more like tragedy. He says, what's, what's comedy? He says, what's tragedy, what's comedy? Tragedy is if I cut my finger. Comedy is if you fall into an open manhole and die. <laughs> my pain is something that is so real. And it's very hard for people sometimes to move outside of their own pain to be able to see and understand somebody else's. And in this week's parasha, you, know, you, you get the gamut. You get to, you get to see uh, a father who's blind you know, wanting to give a bracha to his children, 
One of them is a Russia. Right? Avraham dies before Asa became a Russia because HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised him Seva Teva, that he's going to have a good old life. How can you have a good old life if you see your grandson go off the derech, you know? And, and you see 10 years of childlessness, you know? And, 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 and you see all the different kind of difficulties that people have to go through. Life is going to be filled with challenges, and it's so interesting that it's called toldos. This is where we begin the generations of the Jewish people. And we're in this world to face challenges. As the Mesil Shasharim says, We're going to be given tests and challenges. If you have no tests and you have no challenges, it could be, says the Gemara, you have to worry that a Kodesh Baruch just gave up on you. doesn't care anymore. The challenges tell you something. If, if you studied for a test and you walk into a room and you're smart and you're capable and the teacher hands you a blank piece of paper and you say, no, no, I want a test like everybody else. He says, don't worry about it. I already gave you 100. No, but I want to take the test. <laughs> That's cute. You know, why don't you draw a picture and uh, we'll hang it up afterwards. But be, do it quietly because everyone else is taking the test. Das ist nicht der größte Covid. So Kurdish Baruch isn't going to give you the test. Yeah. We have challenges. Everybody has their challenges. People have challenges with children or not having children or getting married or not getting married. Yeah. People have challenges uh, with with money, with finances, with health, you know, with disabilities. With, with all kinds of things that we have to deal with in life. And life is filled with challenges. Life is filled with difficulties. Which is the most painful? Which is the most painful? What would you say? Not having children? Having children who pass away? Spoken to parents? You know? Um, widows? Orphans? Um, illness? Poverty? not getting married, not having children. I don't know. Don't, don't fall into the trap of measuring other people's pain. Because that's it, you know. The pain is real. The pain is real. And if you try to compare your pain to somebody else's pain, you're going to be frustrated because you don't know what a person can handle. You don't know what a person can handle. Some people, if they had to face what other people had to face, they would, they would just collapse. They, they, they don't have the tools to deal with it. Yeah? And other people are very strong. Other people can handle a tremendous amount. I'm going to tell you something I heard from a close Talmud. I, I don't know if it's true. I can't tell you if it's true. Yeah? Everyone knows that Rav Scheinberg, Zatzal, used to wear a lot of tzitzis. A lot of tzitzis. Yeah? And uh, I remember when I was teaching in Ordovid, so they once took the boys to Rev Scheinberg, and they said, whatever you do, don't ask him about the tzitzis, yeah? So Rev Scheinberg speaks for a little bit, and he says, I'm going to take questions. So a guy raises his hand and says, okay, Rabbi, what's the deal with the tzitzis? <laughs> and he says, when you get to be an old man like me, I'll tell you, yeah? He never told anybody, officially. But, uh, but when he passed away... Yeah, so a close Talmud told me, and he says, and I asked his son, and he confirmed it. Yeah, Scheinberg was an unusually strong person. Unusually strong. What do I mean, unusually strong? 
when he was a young man in his 80s, he used to get up on Yom Kippur, walk from Matisdorf to the Kaisel to Davin Vasikin, and then he'd walk back from the Kaisel back to Yeshiva and stand at the and Davin for the Umbud for the rest of Yom Kippur. That's when he was a young man in his 80s. When he was in his 90s already, it was a little, a little more difficult. But there was one Shabbos when he had a, he had a heart incident. I don't know if it was a heart attack or what it was. And they wanted to rush him to the hospital. And he says, what? On Shabbos? You wait till after Shabbos. <laughs> he, was, he was unusually strong. And he wanted to be mevatel his gashmias. And he used to wear these tzitzis because it was able to, to dampen it a little bit. The same Talmud told me that one time his tefillin shoyad melted from the heat of all those of wearing all those tzitzis. Yeah, he was he was somebody who was unusually strong, unusually gifted, very special person. Some people are like that. Other people are like me. Could people say? Uh, I say, how long does it take to get there? They go, it's a ten minute walk. I said. To get from my bedroom out my front door is 10 minutes. What are you talking about? <laughs> Jackie Mason says, we're going to have an intermission. I'm going to ask the Gentiles to please let the Jews leave first. He says, it takes them longer. So the Gentile gets up and he leaves. And the Jew goes, something pulling over here. I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, this leg. something on this leg. You know? <laughs> Some people, it's hard. Some people, it's hard. They can't get up without a crack. And other people, they're very strong. Some people can handle a tremendous amount of emotional tension. And other people, if one thing goes wrong, they, they just fall apart. They don't know what to do. They wander around. You know, they, they can't handle it. You know, I know this lady. Wonderful lady. I used to joke with her. I said, you know, this, she was super organized. I said, she used to put away her fruits and vegetables in alphabetical order. You know what I mean? Like, she was just very organized. I said, whenever she has some spare time, she rearranges the sock drawer. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of a person. Very organized. And the other people, you walk into their house, it's hop plop. Everything's all over the place, you know? Just, just to get themselves together, you know? Certain people, no problem. They get up in the morning. Other people... If they wake up in the morning, they want a round of applause. Did you see I got up this morning? <laughs> Life is filled with challenges. Yeah. Don't measure anybody's pain. Don't try to figure out who has the worst. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't go down that road. Just remember that whatever we have to face, that's the challenges that Akash Baruch Hu gave me. And it would be nice if things turned out better. But as I tell the story all the time, you know, as Chassir Shagai told me this story once when things were going wrong, and he says to me, Rebbe Yitzchak was walking with his Chassidim, and he said, if I was a Kodesh Baruch you know what I would do? They said, what, Rebbe? He said, just what he's doing now. Why, you think I'm smarter than him? <laughs> we think we're smarter than him. Don't be smarter than him. He knows what he's doing. Mitz Hashem, all of us will have the Chizuk. When we look at the Avos and the Imahos and all the challenges the Jews have had to face throughout history to face whatever our challenges are with a smile. Mm-hmm.